Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 3, Episode 5, for Saturday the 6th of February 2021. Coming up on the show this week, Book 1 of 2021 is off to the editor. Now it's time for a bit of quality control with my older books. Why I prefer Genius Link over books to read in my Amazon-listed books. I'm trying something completely new. This week, I've commissioned a PR company to promote my Morecambe Bay series, plus some hot-off-the-press Spain news, which I'll leave till last, because this is supposed to be a podcast about writing. So let's start with the writing news first of all. My author platform book is now completed, and I have sent it to Judy Stock for an edit. It's had a few little formatting errors with it on my part and that if you recall I'd taken an old file and then I'd moved it into Google Docs and then I had added some bits to it. Now the old file the quotes were not curly quotes they were straight quotes and if you've ever had these formatting issues with your books before this is like one of the author's cycles from hell using Microsoft Word. Now, if you know Microsoft Word very well and you're very happy with it, you probably know exactly how to do this. But I had to go hunting online to find an easy way of converting straight quotes all to curly quotes. And I've had to do this on more than one occasion in my life. And it's not just as simple as doing find and replace because of some, of course, some of those straight quotes um, open a quote and uh, or a you know a speech section and some of them close a speech section you've got to make sure you get the quotes the right way around well the answer is simple and as as i found out on the, on the uh, numerous occasions that i had to do it but I, I always end up looking online for the solution to straight quotes to curly quotes and then promptly lose the article and have to look for it again. So I've actually, this time, I've found the solution and I've saved it into my Evernote for future reference. And I will add a link to the show notes this week to save you hunting for it. It's the, basically the very simple system to changing straight quotes to curly quotes. But it's one of these bizarre things that as a self-published author, these little jobs that you spend ages figuring out how to fix, a disproportionate amount of time. And I was doing it again this week before I sent it off to Julie. So they are all curly quotes, and I prefer curly quotes. And when I get it back from Julie, that will also transfer nicely into vellum. So I thought, well, I'll do it now rather than later. But if you, if that's useful to you, I'll put that how to change the quotes. Now, it's all right if you get it right from the beginning. It's easy to do right from the beginning of a document. But when you have a mixture of both in a document, that's where it gets quite hard to convert to make sure that you do it correctly. So there you go. That's off now. I'll wait for that to come back from Julie Stock. And when Julie sends it back to me, I'll give it my final read, make any corrections or suggestions that Julie has made. And that will get uploaded. It'll get converted in Vellum. It'll get uploaded to Amazon where it's on pre-sale and it could just sit there until it's release time. Now this week, I'm just trying to remember, it's been a busy old week and I'm trying to remember what day it was. I think it was Monday evening. I had my consultancy session. Now I teased this last week, but I didn't give you the details of it. So I can give you all the details now. I just wanted to make sure that I got clearance and permission to do that. So you will know that I am a big fan of Kirsten Oliphant's Creative Writing Podcast. And and Kirsten um, comes from, she doesn't come from an internet marketing background, but when she started 
doing that podcast and when I started listening to it, it was very much about online marketing. I won't say internet marketing, but online marketing. And so I was interested from that point of view. Kirsten was talking about things I'm very familiar with about conversions and, you know, copywriting for conversions on a page and click-throughs and email marketing, all those sorts of things that are on my radar all the time coming from an internet marketing background. And we sing off the same hymn sheet. I'm very much, uh, I very much converge with what Kirsten thinks and says um, we are thinking is very aligned so I've listened to that podcast it must be for three years four years now it must be it's a long time and I listened to a recent episode where Kirsten had said she'd had I think it was four million page reads which is more than I've ever had in a month and she'd made she'd made a good she'd made a five-figure sum in a month but also I know that Kirsten has been going through those those growing pains that I've had which is it's all right having the five-figure months but how you how do you sustain those and how do you return to those how do you uh, manage the ebb and flow of an author business because you know for most of us you're not going to get that month in month out it's good to ebb and flow as I say and Kirsten had had this she'd had one month I think where she'd done she'd certainly had a very high earnings this was over a year ago uh, possibly even five figure earnings and she thought that's it I've made it and then those earnings had come crashing down as they do to, to more normal regular earnings and then she's managed to build it back up again and that's very much the zone that I'm in at the moment and I noticed that she was doing consultancy. I spotted that a while ago. And I noticed that she was doing courses. And I didn't want to do the courses because the problem with courses is it's consumption. It's, you know, do you have time to sit down and wade through them to find the needle in the haystack, the, the juicy information that you want? And I knew I wouldn't go through another course. So I contacted Kirsten and said, can I buy some consultancy off you? What I want to do with you is I want to go through your Facebook ads and I want to go through your Amazon ads because I'm rubbish at Amazon ads I'm not having you know I've, I've explained this before I'm having tiny tiny success with those is that yes sure I can do ads that make a profit but can I scale them I can't scale them and Kirsten was doing Facebook ads and she's having all most of her success with Facebook ads it's where I've been having my success but I, I I've hit a barrier with the Facebook ads and I need some new tricks I need new tricks so um I contacted Kirsten and said can I book in some consultancy with you uh, we've agreed, I'm doing four hours of consultancy, which I paid for for this week. I had two hours of that consultancy on Monday when we went through Facebook ads, and the next two hours we'll be going through Amazon ads. It was worth it. I just wanted, I've, I've actually paid for two uh, um, consultancy sessions uh, or commissioned two consultants, that's the way of saying it. Um, one is is in my writing work and one is in my, my real life. So one of them relates to Spain. I'll talk to you about that towards the end of the podcast. But I basically paid people twice this week, people who know more than me, people who have expertise that I don't have. And I've just paid them for their time to give me their expertise. And I want to recommend this to you because you can sit there scratching your head. You can sit there trying to figure stuff out or you could go straight to the the source of the water. You could draw it from the well, or you you know you could try and get a bucket and lower it down the well, or you can go straight to the source of the water, and and it's much easier to drink from there. And that's what I've done this week. Kirsten has knowledge that I want. She's going through 
or she's gone through, she's going through growing pains that I'm experiencing. She's ahead of me. She always has been ahead of me. And so I can either sit there and figure it out and have a few more months in the wilderness and then maybe crack it again. Or I can just go straight to Kirsten and say, look, here's, here's what I need to know. Just tell me what I need to know. And we did two, two hours of that on Monday. And boy, you know, you know consultancy is worth it. What you, you walk away with usually when you do consultancy or when you do some training with somebody is a couple of little nuggets, a couple of little penny drop moments where you think, yes, that's what I needed to know. And in terms of my conversation with Kirsten, um, it was some tricks. I and mean, I've been doing this for a long time. And she showed me some tricks with lookalike audiences that really go to the sweet spot of what I'm trying to achieve. Things that I didn't know you could do. She talked to me about headlines and some image types that work. And we looked at the numbers as well. So what she told me is that my numbers are great. My, there's nothing wrong with my numbers at all. But the tricks that she's shown me, things that I just didn't know you could do. And when somebody shows you, you think, oh, that's that's what I wanted to know. And, and, she, and it was worth it just, just for that. And I think when I chatted to Kirsten beforehand, I think she was a little bit nervous because I told her what, what I'd made and, and, and the numbers from this year. I gave her an indicator. And I think she felt like perhaps she wouldn't be able to give me any value. And I, I said to her, you will. <laughs> I know you'll be able to give me value because you know, you're know you where I want to be. You're doing the things that I want to be and you're, you're ahead of me all the time. And so, you know, for two hours, I think, I can't remember what I paid per hour for the consultancy. It wasn't even a lot, to be honest with you. It was, I think it was $49 an hour. So it worked out, it worked out that session for about £75. I can make that £75 back in a day, knowing what Kirsten has taught me. And this is why you've got to look at the value of consultancy. Get your head around paying somebody for consultancy. Because if you should always equate it to how many hours, how many days, how many months would it take me to figure that out? Or if I just go to the source who can tell me exactly what to do, it's it's in terms of an hourly spend, it's much better. So let's just put a, a roundabout number. Let's just say you say your time is worth £25 an hour, for instance. That's three hours of, um, that would be three hours of my time. Now, it's going to take me much more than three hours of my time to work out the solution to those problems. But I just, it's three hours of my time. Uh, to pay for that consultancy work. And I know that I can earn that back in a day when my ads uh, are running really well in, in profit. So um, we've got another session coming up in, I think we said week beginning 15th of February, we'll book the session. Just to let you know that Kirsten isn't taking on one-to-one -one clients at the moment. She's got enough, but she does have a series of courses available on these topics. And I'll put the, sh the, the, the link in the show notes this week. It's creative writing dot com forward slash 2020 hyphen workshops but just go to the show notes for that link to make sure that you get it right she's not taking on one-to-one -one clients at present because she's busy and she had to bump my next session forward for a couple of weeks um but really it's the principle that i wanted to talk to you about don't worry just make sure you're going to the right source i think that's the trick uh, the warning I would give you, you know, go to somebody who walks the walk that's what what you want you know somebody who's got proven uh, you know, can prove that they're doing what you want to do. Um, you know, don't don't pay some charlatan to do it and then find out that you've wasted your money and learned a load of wrong techniques. Make Spot people who are doing what you want to do and have got the results that you want to achieve in the areas that you want to achieve. So I very specifically want to know how can I scale up my Amazon ads or make them work in my business? And, and I needed some next level Facebook trips, tricks. I needed that consultancy. I needed someone to look at my Facebook ads and say, did you know you could do this? 
click that button, you can do this. That's exactly what I needed. So I gave Kirsten access to my ants and we delved in and I got all the answers that I needed from that. So don't hesitate to pay for consultancy if you need it. Don't think, ooh, that's a cost, that's gonna cost me money. Look at the benefits that you can get. Now, just as an example of this, um, I bought Mark Dawson's Facebook ads course a couple of years ago. And it was about 500 pounds at the time. It's a lot of money, of course it is 500 pounds. I, did, I, I didn't spend that money without thinking about it and thinking it through. But I figured that if I went through Mark's course, learned how to do Facebook ads properly, because I was doing corporate training at, at that time, I could earn it back in, in one course. Well, in actual fact, I made far more than that on the course because there was such a demand for it. So I, I earned more than that money back in one Facebook ads course. I then went on to do several corporate ads courses. So in fact, taking that course and getting that knowledge enabled me then to, to, if you want, repackage, resell that to corporate clients who hadn't got a clue about any of that stuff. They were absolutely clueless about all the stuff in that course. And so I, I, with that knowledge, I managed to make money from the knowledge that I'd got. And that's exactly what I've done here in terms of consultancy. I've paid for that knowledge to acquire that knowledge. And now, although I won't teach that because I don't want to do any teaching at the moment, I'm not doing webinars, you know, I'm not doing corporate training or anything like that at the moment, but I can carry that knowledge forward in my business. And I'm sure as heck that when I then implement that with my ads, I'll make that money back in no time at all. So don't think of it as an expense. Think of it as a benefit when you spend that money, when you invest that money with the right person. So it was the right course to invest in with Mark Dawson's course. And for me, where I am right now, Kirsten was the right person to invest in for that consultancy. And I'll let you know how the Amazon ads session goes when we have that in about two or three weeks time. The other thing that I've spent money on this week, and this will be a big surprise for you, knowing how big an online guy I am, I have paid for a traditional PR package around my Morecambe Bay books. And there's a bit of a story to this, but I will, I'll let you know where you, I mean, you could do this too if you want to as well. It's an old pal of mine, uh, a chap who, works, who worked for the local newspaper. And the local newspapers made loads of people uh, redundant. And we've had uh, this uh, gentleman uh, who runs this PR company. When I went freelance years ago and I left the BBC, I think we'd worked together while I was at the BBC. You tend to all know each other in the media. And he'd asked me when I started, uh, when I went sort of freelance and working for myself, he booked me in for a tour. I think it was about three events where I spoke with the newspaper in front of nice big audiences that they gathered and uh, we've always kept in touch and we talk social media and we always meet up for a drink or food every now and then and, and, and just you know chew the fat basically. Well he, he left the paper about two years ago. He set up his own um, public relations business because that's you know he's a journalist that's what he does really well. And he set it up with a colleague, another lady that I know. They set up this business together and it's been going really, really well. And I, I, I sent him a note the other day to say how lovely it is to see how well the business is going because it is going really well. And I think they've got the pitch very good. And I've been watching his his adverts come up in my social media feeds and they're, they're offering a, a £300 plus VAT fixed price PR package. And they... For that PR package, they give you the press release, they distribute the press release, they take professional photographs with a professional photographer, and you keep the copyright and the use of those photographs. And then they give you a report on how well 
uh, you know, where, where you've got coverage in the press. And because that's a fixed price package, you know, it's 300 quid, there's no extras, there's no surprises, there's no, we'll bill you afterwards by the hour. I thought, well, you know, 300 quid, I don't mind that. Now, at the moment, this goes back to my Walk and Bay books. I might not do it with all my books, but because of Walk and Bay, because the Walk and Bay trilogy is being talked about a lot, and there have been several articles in I think certainly the regional newspapers they might even have hit some of the national papers that the resort of Morecambe has had a huge uptick in interest for uh, people buying houses because they've all been seeing the lovely Morecambe Bay area on the television at the moment so there's a bit of a buzz around the series and so that's a good time I think for me to do some traditional PR because I want to I want to piggyback off the fact that the TV series is running for another couple of weeks and to say you know inspired by the Morecambe Bay more books and and I want to talk about the locations that I've used because if you know if you like the Morecambe Bay series, as I've said already, you'll like my books because of all the locations that are featured there. There's also some historical locations that have been knocked down. So for people of my kind of age who remember old Morecambe, there'll be a lot of interest in there as well. Because that, you know, I lived there in the 80s and obviously I've been here in the in the 2020s. I've known Morecambe and visited Morecambe over a period of time. So I decided to um, contact my friend and said, I'll have one of those PR packages if that's okay. I just gave him a, a brief uh, for it. And I said to him, because I'm in Spain at the moment, you know, you can't send a photographer around, but I'll supply my own pictures. Because if you also recall, my wife and I have been doing uh, recce visits on the locations I'm using in the books. And I've always got my wife to take pictures of me you know, the author doing research in the locations. So I said, I'll supply my own pictures. So he came back to me and said, well, if you supply your own pictures, that's £175. Um, now, that's not a lot to pay for a PR package, particularly if I'm just giving it a go. Now, the benefits to me, number one is I want to ride on the coattails of the bay being on TV at the moment, while there's a buzz, while everybody's talking about it. But also, the long-term benefit of this is that if they do me a nice keyworded article and it's distributed to local newspapers um, and I might get a radio interview or something like that, what I'll get from that is what we call long-tail SEO, not with the radio interview, but certainly with the web articles, in that when people look for The Bay on TV... I want my, the article with my name on it and the link to my books to come up in the search engines. So it's a good way of me piggybacking off uh, newspaper websites that are bigger than me, that have more web traffic than I do. So I come up higher in the search engines for searches on the Bay and for Morecambe. So I'm using this strategically. Now, when you use offline PR, You've got to have reasonable expectations. You know, a lot of people think, oh, blimey, I'm going on local radio. It will change my world. I will be a millionaire by the end of the week. It does not work like that. Okay, I always used to set people's expectations about that when I was on the radio myself. I can remember my wife and I, we went to, this is before we had kids. I can remember going to Scotland. We went to some lodges in Scotland and we'd just gone for a basic lodge. But when the guy learned I was from the BBC, he said, I'll upgrade you to the executive ones, you know, the new ones that we've got. And I used to say to people, look, I can't do anything for you. You know, I'm bound by BBC guidelines. I can't promote stuff, blah, 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 blah. And they still used to let you do it. You know, I'd, I'd give them all the, all the information uh, and say, look, I can't do anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not a commercial guy. I can't say anything about this. I can't do anything for you. Um, but they'd still let you do it, which was fine. But um, 
So you need to have a reasonable expectation. You know, for instance, I've been in, is it Writing Magazine in the UK? I, I did my own PR. I sent them an article, went in there, got zero interest, zero contacts from it. You've got to have reasonable expectations of PR. It's not going to change your world all of a sudden, but it might do. So have the expectation it's not going to change anything, but it might do. And the reason that it might do is you never know who might see it or hear about it or, or read it in a different place. So if you if you do spend that money, don't expect, you know, in the way that I tell you that when I'm spending on adverts, I look at how much I'm paying per click and I want to earn my money back. Don't view PR like that. The chances are you ain't going to get that. You're not going to spend £300 and say, oh, I made a £1,000 out of that. It's not going to be like that. It's a longer term strategy. It's, it's really about just getting your name out there in different places. Uh, in in diff, you know I in places that I would never usually go. So for instance, when I do blog tours, the reason I do blog tours is to get my books and my name on other people's blogs to give me real estate in the search engines. That's my strategy there. Now obviously I get a bit of a buzz when I launch the book, but my long-term strategy is for the SEO, the search engine optimization juice that I, I get from that, from being on all those blogs. And that's what my strategy is here. It's to get, I, I, basically if somebody puts the bay in, you know, the Bay ITV, the Bay TV series. I want my articles to come up and that's why I'm doing this. So I mentioned it and also in the show notes, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to Helen's Twitter post that she did the other day that outlines the whole of the post. It, it outlines what you get for the package. So it's, you know, it's 300 quid plus fat. I'm not sure at the moment if that 175 is plus fat or including that. I'm not sure. Either way, it, it doesn't matter um, because I'd have been happy to pay 300 quid plus fat for it. That, I felt that was a reasonable deal considering the, 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 the sort of manpower involved in that. But what I'll do is I'll put the the, the tweet link into the show notes. So when you click on that, you'll be able to see the full tweet with the graphic and what's in, included in that package. And then you know from me informally that if you can provide your own high quality pictures, then they, they don't need to send a photographer around. And the other thing you've got to bear in mind, of course, is this is a Carlisle based business. So really, I would say, you know, probably don't look at it unless you can supply your own high quality pictures. Bear, bear that in mind. So I'm doing the interview for it on Tuesday. We've got it booked in for Tuesday morning and I'll let you know how it goes. And if I, when I've got links for it, when it's been distributed, I'll share those links on the show notes. But the interview's on Tuesday. And one of the things that I said to them, because I know what the local newspapers are like, I said, I've banned them from using the phrase budding writer. A budding writer that's a favorite of the newspapers right I'm not a budding writer I make my living from it now and sell thousands of books in over a hundred countries around the world right I'm not going to be called a budding writer so uh, I, I, put a, I put them right on that one straight away because the the papers have a habit of saying things like this and I will not be called a budding writer so I'll be called just a writer or an author for the purposes of this um article i you know i'm not a hobbyist who just happens to have knocked out a book and got me mum to proofread it you know it needs to come over professionally is what i'm saying uh you know not as some hobbyist it needs to come over just as a traditional author would be in fact I, you know we probably won't even we might need to talk about self-publishing because in terms of self-publishing i can say well I, I sell books in over 100 and whatever it is countries and you know i've sold so many thousand uh, books this year all that kind of thing so we'll we'll see whether i mention self-publishing or not but um, anyhow you know it's an adventure and it cost me 175 either with or without vat i'm not sure whether it comes with vat or not and i'll let you know how it goes and how it plays out for me 
Email marketing is an essential part of any author marketing strategy, and MailerLite is the service I prefer when it comes to sending out my emails. MailerLite offers a free account of up to 1,000 subscribers, and it also gives you access to a simple website builder. If you're a new author, that allows you to build the two most important components of your author platform without any technical or financial blocks. If you're more advanced in your self-publishing journey, I particularly like the automations, the landing page options, the advanced targeting features, and the automatic resend facility. Where MailChimp can get expensive very quickly, and ConvertKit is probably more suitable for complex business setups, MailerLite is well-priced as you build your subscribers, as well as boasting many incredible features. You pay nothing extra when you buy through my affiliate link, so to check out the email marketing service that I use and recommend, head over to paulteague.net forward slash MailerLite and get your online marketing off to a great start. Having got my first book of the year off to Julie Stock for editing, work now begins on organising my vellum files. I told you that I'd had a few shocks last week quality control shocks. I'm going to go through all of my files. I'm going to reorganize them. And specifically, I'm going to make sure that all social media links are removed from the back matter of my books. That particularly applies to my sci-fi, which still has them in. Everybody now is getting sent to paulteague.net. I'm not using social media in the back matter of my books at all. Now, if I change my mind in future and decide to make a big thing of social media, well, that's fine. You can connect to me through social media via paulteague.net. I'll, I'll have the buttons on there if, if I decide to, to go back to it again. And also in my email sequences, I will say, you can connect to me on social media. But at the moment, I'm off. I'm having a, a social media bad hair day. I'm not really, I'm just stepping back from it. Might not come back to it. Or, or I'm just going to half ass it, basically. But I'm not going to have a, a social media strategy. My social media strategy is to use it for advertising, which is where I get my results. So as I've told you in previous episodes, obviously, Facebook is responsible for all the income that I've had over the past year. Those ads, fantastic. And then also the Twitter ads are doing very well for me as well at the moment. So certainly getting lots of activity and clicks from them. Although I can't evidence whether it's bringing in income, it feels like those are doing really well. So I'm continuing them. So social media for advertising but not just for community building not going to use it for that people can go to paulteague.net as my main web presence which of course is the web presence i own and when i teach corporates about this when i talk corporates about this past tense now i used to say to them that your website is your mothership it's the mothership of your business it's the bit that you own it's the bit that when mark zuckerberg you know if facebook gets carved up into small pieces uh, you know because governments won't accept the big as big as they are or you know there's some data scandal and everybody flees from Facebook and it goes the way of MySpace all you've got there is a sweet memory of the likes that you used to have whereas if you could direct people to your website the mothership of your business it's the bit that you own control and take with you no Mark Zuckerberg can say oh I didn't like that book cover on your website because it's up to you you've got editorial control on your website and even if your web host goes bust, doesn't like it, decides to change the rules, then you can simply export your content and move it to another web host. That's why you control it and own it. So they're all going to the mothership from now on. Now, I just wanted to mention, when I list books wide, I use books to read links, which give me geolocated uh, directs to Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Books, and all of that. But 
I don't use books to read links when I have Amazon books. So I use Genius Link or Genius Links in Amazon books. Now, let me just explain what I mean by that. Normally, when you list wide, most people would have one version of the book and they would use books to read. And when people click on books to read, if they read on Amazon, they would click books to read and then select Amazon as the platform they want to read on. Now, I don't do that. I use books to read, but I only list those um, books to read links on Google, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and the other one. What's the other one? Whatever the other one is. Apple, Apple Books. I make a separate version of the book for Amazon, and I only use Genius Links on that. Let me explain the reason for that from a marketing point of view. I love books to read, and it's a brilliant service, but books to read has an extra click, an extra complication in the deal. So if you if you click read more at the back of my wide-listed book, you'll click the link and it will take you to books to read. Books to read will then ask you to make another decision, which is where do you want to read this book? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and that's another click. Whereas the file versions that I put in Amazon that use Genius Link, you click on read more, Genius Link geolocates you. So if you in the UK, you get amazon.co.uk. If you're in Spain, amazon.es, amazon.com if you're in the US, etc., etc. It geolocates you but it doesn't need an extra click. It takes you straight to the sales page. Now, again, coming from an internet marketing point of view, I'm always looking to reduce clicks. The fewer clicks involved, the more sales you will make. The more obstacles you put in people's way, then obviously, you know, the more, more clicks there are. Now, I don't sell enough books on the other channels for me to make separate Apple Google files. It's, it's not worth it. If I if I started to experience a lot of sales success, say on Apple Books, then I might start to make bespoke Apple versions to remove one of those clicks to take you straight through to an Apple sales page. But for Amazon, I do. So I use Genius Link in the Amazon versions and Books to Read and all the others because Amazon's where I make my sales and I want as few clicks as possible in the sales process. And just to give you an insight, that is why I end up with so many different files in Vellum. And that is why I've got to go to Vellum over the next week and sort my files out. I end up with so many versions. And if I'm doing them at speed, which I usually am, I don't organize them as I'm going along very well. So I have to come back and mop up and make sure I've got all the files in the right order. And that's probably why I've made a file mistake when I've been uploading. That's probably why one or both of these mistakes have occurred, because I got too many versions of the files and I possibly haven't labeled them clearly as I've been going through them. So that's what this week is all about. But there's also a little marketing tip for you in there as well. I submitted my sci-fi seven pack to BookBub. I mentioned this to you last week and I also had to eat author humble pie because if you recall, I had been offered a BookBub on my, uh, it was on the secret bunker actually, that, that offered me uh, a BookBub on the secret bunker, uh, at, but they wanted to put it in the horror category and I'd said, no, thank you very much. And, and so I, um, I submitted through the, the, the sort of horror category through gritted teeth and they've rejected me again now the other thing I did with the sci-fi seven pack is I did put the price up to 9.99 and then said I would sell it or uh, at, on offer at 99 pence and cents because we thought maybe um, you know having that price differential might work but it got rejected anyway so that book's going wide shortly um, well I think it's this week February the 9th yeah the February the 9th all my sci-fi is out of 
uh, Kindle Unlimited. So it's going wide again anyway, that Sci-Fi 7 pack, and it will actually sit still at 9.99 while I'm listed wide. It doesn't go at 99 pence when I'm, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm narrow. I, I, I might put it, I might try it at 99 pence and cents listed wide. We'll have to see how that goes, but I don't want to cut off my nose to spite my face with my other books. Uh, so I've got my Thriller 12 pack going to BookBub shortly. I don't think I'm going to increase the price on that because I don't want to disrupt my ads and my sales. I just want to keep sending traffic to that at 99 pence and cents. So I will risk it in a BookBub in Kindle Unlimited. And if they knock me back, they knock me back. It's hard luck. Um, I will be taking the thrillers out of Kindle Unlimited in a month or two. I can't quite remember the dates because my sixth month waiting period is up and I can then submit uh, Don't Tell Meg and what's the other one? Left for Dead. I can submit those for new BookBub promos. Uh, but in the meantime, it's staying in Kindle Unlimited and I will keep I'm making my money from that 12 pack still and I will keep driving the traffic to that package. I bought the new Kalytics Mystery Thriller Suspense Market Seminar this week, and I'd had a question uh, a couple of months ago asking, should I buy the, the sort of premium pack, you know, the, an the annual package of the Kalytics reports, or should I buy the individual reports? And I thought I'd just share my thinking with this. I do buy the individual genre reports as soon as they're updated and released. But I've never seen, and I might be mistaken in this, but I've never seen the sort of value of, of buying all the reports and having all the data. Now, I'm speaking as somebody who uh, writes non-fiction, so I'm interested in those reports. I'm interested in the sci-fi dystopian reports, and I'm interested in the mystery thriller suspense reports. I also have bought the female protagonist reports as well so I buy all my reports individually at $37 a time I read them through and what I extract from those books mainly is keywords and categories that's pretty well what I get from them which categories should I list my my books in and which keywords should I use in my seven keyword field that's the information I generally get that's what I'm looking for just to see if that's changed but I, I'm personally yet to be convinced of the value of you know getting a $300, whatever it is, package or paying every month for a, a VIP package. But I get immense value from buying the updated reports as soon as they come out. So I thought I'd share that with you. That's something I need to work through just to check that my keywords are still good and relevant and that there aren't any, for instance, new breakthrough categories that I could be listing my thriller books in. But I, I always go through it with a fine tooth comb. I extract the data and I will tweak my book listings based upon that Kalytics data. But I, I buy them without blinking if they're in my genre. I just buy them, uh, work through them. I, I've got some great information from them. And I, I actually believe that the information that I get from Kalytics has changed a lot of my success because it's taught me and continues to show me which categories I need to list my books in to get them high in the charts, if not at number one in those paid charts. I wanted to also mention Buy Me A Coffee this week. Now, Buy Me A Coffee is what I'm using to basically allow people to support this podcast or my writing work. And I know a couple of other podcasters who've listened to me talking about Buy Me A Coffee and have used it and seem to be getting on very well with it. But this morning when I woke up, I also get contributions from readers. So primarily, I only promote it really on this podcast as a way of supporting the podcast. But this morning, I woke up to, to five coffees um, from a reader who 
sent me a message saying, don't tell Meg was a great series. Uh, you're my new favorite author and I've been reading books for over 50 years. And then this reader goes on to say, uh, one of the things I liked most was that the story was told mostly from Pete's point of view. It was an easy read, yet so much was going on. The mysteries just kept happening. Great work. So, I mean, that's obviously a lovely email to wake up to this morning. And also this lady bought me five coffees through Buy Me A Coffee. But I just wanted to say to you, you know, if, if you've listened to all the chit chat and the talk about Patreon, um, I like to kind of pride myself at being... I hope, just slightly ahead of the curve most of the time. And, and as you know, if you've listened for any length of time, I did Patreon for a while. And my impression of Patreon, and I listen to other people's podcasts, and they tell me what they're doing to keep their Patreon subscribers you know, happy, to feed this beast that is Patreon, um, to justify the monthly fees. And it just makes me tired when I hear how much work people are doing. Uh, you know, just to sustain Patreon, it makes me tired and just want to curl up and go to sleep. Um, you know, a lot, there's a lot of people doing too much work in this industry. I, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and I'm thinking, you're doing a lot of work. You know, you you must be heading for burnout. I couldn't sustain that level of work. I like to think I'm reasonably, reasonably productive, but I couldn't sustain the level of work that a lot of people are doing. And to a certain extent, you know, it makes me... It makes me uh, grateful that I'm an old git because I, I, I listen to a lot of 30-something writers who, you know, clearly don't want to work in, in, in a business. They want to get away from their day job. But, but I can tell you, and I learned this when I did my rapid release, uh, was it last year or the year before? Um, it could be relentless. And, and I don't want it to be relentless. That's a choice I'm making. I do not want my writing life to be relentless. I want it to be enjoyable. And, you know, for enjoyable for me is four to six books a year. That's a nice pace for me. A couple of non-fictions and some, some fictions. That's a nice pace for me a comfortable pace and it allows me uh, time to think and to think of new plots and to feel fresh and enthusiastic all the time this is why i like writing in different genres because when i when i come back to writing my thrillers i'll feel really up for it and, and fresh rather than thinking oh no here's another thriller i gotta get this out so patreon to me kind of feeds that that beast that i gotta write fast i gotta write more books you know i've got to feed the patreon machine and i hear so many podcast hosts now and i think oh you know you need to you need to find another way around this and and buy me a coffee i think is a way around that because when you set up a patreon account in my opinion you you you, you create a rod for your own back and i i learned this the hard way i did the same thing it just became another thing that i had to feed another thing that i had to do whereas with buy me a coffee You've still got the option. People can still uh, sponsor you monthly if they want to, like they do on Patreon. But actually, I think a nicer way of doing it is just to say to people, you know, if if you if you read a book and you loved it, if I share a tip with you that saves you a load of time and you think, blimey, that would have taken me weeks to do, you know, just, just buy someone a coffee and say thanks very much. Just a way of saying thank you. You don't have to sign your life away, you know, with a monthly commitment. I don't like signing up for monthly commitments either. And it's just working really well for me. I just wanted to mention it, really, because, you know, not only can people support your podcast work, your nonfiction work, your author uh, sort of outreach work, but it also works for readers. I've had a couple of readers just buy me a coffee. And I don't push it. I just have it on my website. It's just in the corner there saying, if you, if you want to sort, support my work, buy me a coffee. And some people obviously, you know, come to the website after reading the books and, and they buy you a coffee. So, so don't forget it. If you are doing this, don't forget that buy me a coffee also works for your readers. And you can customize the message that's on your website. So, you know, for instance, on the blog, I might say, if you want to support this podcast, 
um, you can buy me a coffee. The message might be different on my author site saying if you've enjoyed my books, if you enjoy my work, you can buy me a coffee. And um, it all goes through the same account, doesn't need any messing around. It just comes straight in, into, I think they pay by PayPal. Yeah, it comes through Stripe. So it, I, it just comes into my PayPal and I move it into my bank account from PayPal. Uh, but buy me a coffee. I've got to tell you, it works really well. I'm not hearing enough people talking about buy me a coffee. Everybody talks about Patreon. But I really believe that Buy Me A Coffee is the better system. And I also passionately believe, because most of the people listening to this podcast are smaller authors. You know, again, Patreon works. If you've got zillions of people who love your work and you've got you know, an audience of zillions who listen to your podcast, it's fine. Frankly, you could put anything out there and you'd make money from it. But for those of us who don't have that big audience, that, you know, that audience that are just baying for more content it, it's a lot slower for us it's you know it's step forward one step forward one step forward that's what it's like for us i think buy me a coffee suits that style that place in the market much better but also it still allows you to do exactly what patreon does which is if people want to they could just pay you five dollars ten dollars whatever it is a month but i really like those one-off contributions they work very well and i think that suits smaller authors like us much better if you've ever found this podcast helpful you can now support my work by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paul teague maybe i've saved you some time by sharing a new resource perhaps i passed some information on that you weren't aware of or you may just like catching up with another author who's doing what you're trying to do and checking in on a regular basis I prefer to use Buy Me A Coffee because unlike Patreon, you don't have to sign your life away to show your support for the podcast. You can make small one-time contributions at the price of a cup of coffee, or you can support monthly or even annually. The choice is yours and you can make one-off donations at any level you choose. So if you want to support the future development of this show, head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Paul Teague. And thank you very much in advance for your help in keeping this particular show on the road. Bearing in mind I've been really idle this week, I say I've been idle, you know, I've always got something going on, but it hasn't all been related to writing books, as you'll hear shortly. I've got a lot of news for you this week. I'm quite surprised how much news I've got to share with you this week. I just wanted to tell you about my non-fiction. I've taken my, I tried my non-fiction in KDP Select. Non-fiction doesn't really work in KDP Select. There's really no way to market it in KDP Select. It doesn't. I've not given them away for free. I think the only way I can think to market my non-fiction book is to give an extract away for free, uh, not the whole book, uh, because they, it doesn't work like a series, a trilogy in fiction. It, it just doesn't work like that. So uh, if you were Joanna Penn, for instance, and Joanna writes books that are all for authors, I think that you could give one of those books away because then you would also write, you would also buy other books for authors. I don't feel like I can really write books for authors. I'm not uh, confident enough and I don't think I've had enough success to do that. So my books are at the moment on, tend to be more techie things, which I am confident talking about. So how to build an author platform, that's a techie book. I know it's about, it's for authors, but essentially it's my techie background. Uh, podcasting which is my radio and podcasting background you've got product creation which is my internet marketing background and what's the other one I've written oh five figure fiction formula which is about self-publishing but it's more about how I got from earning nothing to earning something as an author I think that's useful and it's really just talking about how I got there with that 
Um, so my books don't lend themselves as a series, really. You know, I, I don't. I think if you bought the podcast book, you wouldn't necessarily be interested in the product creation book. I think they're more standalone books rather than themed, as Joanna Penns are for authors. So um, I've published them wide again. And I have published, I originally, because I want to stay with Publish Drive, I had pushed them to publish on Google via Publish Drive. But um, what I found with Publish Drive is books are taking forever to get published on Google. They get published to other channels very quickly, but not Google. So I've made the executive decision this week that I'm not going to use Publish Drive to publish my books to Google anymore. Now, when Publish Drive arrived on the scene, it was actually far easier to, uh, because Google was kind of going, you know, Google was difficult. I had got an old account, but it was not very user-friendly. And uh, they'd closed to new accounts. So actually, uh, when Publish Drive arrived on the scene, it was a great way to publish your book on Google. The money interface was a lot clearer. It was just a lot simpler. But actually, I just wanted to let you know that I've changed my tune on this now. My Google books have been sat there for about three weeks. And on Google, they're just pending publication. Then about you, but I can't wait that long. So I'm just using Publish Drive now to mop up the markets that the other aggregators can't get me to. So there's a couple of listings on Publish Drive that Draft the Digital doesn't do. Um, one of them is in China, for instance. I, de I definitely want that. So I'm only using Publish Drive for that at the minute. I have to say, I feel like Publish Drive have pivoted their business slightly since I started using it. I feel like they're more interested in bigger authors now. So they've come up with some great innovations. So for instance, if you, if you, if you write in teams, if you're like a 20 books to 50K, and you've got all these royalties to share among lots of authors. They've, I think they've moved into that slot. They're looking more for bigger publishers, I think, now. Bigger indie publishers and bigger publishing houses. And I just feel like there wasn't a lot of attention on my Google books. I mean, three weeks, for goodness sake, you know, that's just not an acceptable timeline. So, um, I, I, but having said that, I still, I kind of still want to support Publish Drive because I think they're doing great things in the marketplace. And uh, I, ideally, I would like my collaboration books to be going through published drive as well uh, but that that's not my decision to make so just to let you know i'm not publishing google books via published drive anymore i am putting them directly in google books google books have made a number of improvements they're really getting their act together now i mean they're not quite there yet but they're really getting their act together. And interestingly, I, I sent two queries to the Google Books help desk this week. So number one is I uh, I went to Publish Drive. I removed my four nonfiction books from Publish Drive and left them on the other channels. And then I went into Google and republished them on Google directly. And the, there was a message there that I hadn't seen before. Usually when you publish a book on Google, it's like there in minutes. It you have to wait no time at all. It's, it's published straight away. It's brilliant. The quickest one of all of them is Google, usually when you publish directly. Uh, but they had a message on that, that suggested uh, that, that there was a problem with the books. So I contacted Google help desk and said, is there a problem with this? Anything I need to do? Because I can't see what it is. Got a reply saying no, they'll be, they'll they'll just be checked again and they'll they'll go within twenty four hours and and they were there they were there in no time at all. The other thing I had to query was when you list in Google Books. This is a little bit complicated. So just bear with me. When you sell books through Publish Drive, you have to give permission for Publish Drive to be a to receive the money on your behalf. You have to set up a payment profile. 
for Publish Drive. And in my Google account, because you learn this stuff as you go along, I have a Publish Drive payment profile, and I've got my old Pultique payment profile, which I think goes probably to an account that doesn't even exist anymore, and my new Pultique, uh, or it's probably a Clixio payment profile, which goes straight to my Starling business bank account. Bear with me, it'll all make sense. And when I'd listed books in published uh, in Google Directs previously, so I had I, all my books were wired until fairly recently again, I'd set the payment profile to Publish Drive, which means I was selling directly, but the money was going to Publish Drive. And I, again, I think it was just before Christmas, I got this mystery money from Publish Drive. And I thought, oh, didn't know I had that coming to me. So I, qu I queried because I've been expecting some money to come in directly from Google. So I sent a second help desk ticket this week and said, um, have I set up my profiles correctly? Have I done something wrong with my profiles? And if so, if not, how do I correct them? Because I was expecting some money in and I got a great, a perfect, you know, a perfect reply explaining everything I'd asked about, showing me how to check the profiles. And in actual fact, the money that I'd got from Publish Drive before Christmas, the surprise money, was the money I had been expecting through the normal profile. I got the profile set up correctly. Incorrectly, I beg your pardon. So I followed the instructions and set the profiles right and we're off. The money will come to the right account now. But I just wanted to tell you about those because um, I got two really good responses from the Google Books team. And it really feels to me like they're getting their act together on Google Books now. I would like slightly better financial interface, I think. That's pretty well all there is, um, you know, that I'd like querying. I'm getting the hang on, on Google Books. You can sell books in many, many territories and you can set prices in those territories or not. And I listened to a really good podcast. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I will put the link in the show notes for this week. Let me see if I can remember the name of the podcast on my phone. I've got it on my phone. It is called the Indie Author Podcast. Here it is. It's the Indie Author Podcast, episode 61. And it's an episode on Google Play with a chap called Brian Rathbone. So Indie Author Podcast, episode 61, Google Play with Brian Rathbone. Um, I'll put it on the show notes if I remember. Check it out because he talks about how to use Google Play and I learned a lot from that episode as well. But it's good, you know, Google Play, I would recommend you listing there directly and getting used to it because they really are making some inroads at the moment. Because those non-fiction books are now listed wide, I'm back to looking at the Kobo promos. And this is one of the things I love about Kobo is that they constantly have um, they have a promotions tab. If you haven't, if you can't see it in your Kobo account, just it doesn't get there automatically. You have to write to the help desk and they'll put it there within a day or two. But you need to have the promotions tab. And so I've submitted my non-fiction books to a couple of sales. So I've submitted how to start a podcast to... Uh, a VIP 40% off sale. That's uh, February 22nd to 26th. Uh, and I haven't heard about that one yet, but I've submitted the five-figure fiction formula to a long weekend sale in Canada and the US. That runs from February the 12th to February the 15th. And I have been accepted for that. So because they're non-fictions, I'm not giving them away for free. They their price I think as ebooks uh, the prices vary on territories but they're generally about four ninety nine in the UK I think they're five ninety nine in the US and maybe six or seven in in Canada and Australia because those markets can take higher prices so a forty percent off sale gives me a good uh, a good bit of income from those books still so the non fictions won't go free 
but I'm happy to do discounts. And that's why I submitted them to those sales. Uh, again, as a marketing tip for you, if you are listed wide, make sure you always check that promotions tab regularly because there's there's always good promotions there that you can go into. And some of them are free. A lot of the time, Kobo will take a percentage of the sale proceeds. Some of the time, they will charge you for it. And the charges to take part in those promos start from three, I think it's three pounds. So I think they go something like three pounds. You, you For the, the most, I think the biggest one is 50 pounds, and that's for a front page uh, promo, which I've never tried yet. Um, but they're very reasonably priced. I really like Kobo for that, uh, for the way they do those promotions. I wanted to give you an illustration of why I only advertise to women in my Facebook ads. Um, occasionally, a man slips through the net, probably because they see it on one of their friends, female friends, uh, you know, their, their Facebook feeds or something like that. So it's not absolute, but in terms of who I, in terms of who I actually target, I'm targeting women all the time but you do occasionally get men slipping through the net. And I had a man slip through the net this week. I got, this is my first comment from a man in weeks. And this is what it said. It said, biggest load of rubbish ever. That's the quote. Okay, so I've been going weeks and weeks and weeks advertising to women. And all I get from women is, you know, great book, love this book, enjoying this. And the biggest thing you get from women, I notice women are great at this, is they they mention it to their friends and say, are you interested in this? Or, you know, this might suit you. I know you like thrillers. They're really, women are so sociable. They're so good at social media. And meanwhile, our man, our man pops his head up this week. Biggest load of rubbish ever, spreading the positivity throughout the world once again. So uh, that's why I don't um, advertise to men. Now, it's not not to say for one minute that all men are like that. Of course they're not. Of course they're not. But you get more of that kind of nonsense when you advertise to men. And I just, I don't want it in my feed. I don't want to see it. I don't want it in my feed. Now, that's probably cutting off my nose to spite my face. But I also know that my my biggest fans the people who love my 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 kind of thrillers are maturer women you know 30 30 plus um they like my they like my work because they're about families and growing up kids and you know that those are the sorts of themes that are in my books so i know what my customer avatar is you know so there, there, there are two purposes to this number one i know who my avatar is which is the women that i advertise to on facebook but i just use that as an illustration that you know i, I only ever really get that from from men the, the negative comment i told you about it last week the only uh, it wasn't even negative comment that the comment that i got from la last week about the, the 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 sort of howlers in the book i don't know whether i told you this last week i ended up telling her that i'd made the changes on facebook i said i've made those changes in the book and we started having a conversation um, and she's now a beta reader <laughs> she, i said i could do with people with eagle eyes you know, i always need people with eagle eyes who can spot things that are wrong She'd enjoyed the books. She just spotted a couple of howlers, and I'd said to her, "Do you want to join my beta reader?" So she's now delighted that she's on my beta reader list. So you know that's where you turn a negative to a positive. But there's not really a lot of places you can go with biggest load of rubbish ever, is there? Not really many places to take that. I don't think. Okay, uh, we're into the sort of general news now. Um, I completed. Was it Sunday it would have been, wouldn't it? I completed my January run challenge. So if you recall, I am struggling to motivate myself to run. I say I'm struggling. It's not, it's not some great epic struggle. Um, but, you know, it's harder when you haven't got the incentives of park runs every week. Uh, my nature reserve run, when you're not running with people in the club and things like that. Um, it's harder to motivate yourself. 
So I'm, I'm really keen that I keep the running up while I'm here and I don't just let it slip. So I've been doing these online challenges just to make sure they they set me a target for the month. And you know, like, you know me, if I've got a target, I have to hit it. Uh, and it just makes sure I keep the running up. You know, I, I know for a fact, listening to what the weather's like in the UK at the moment, I, I'm sure I would have stopped running over winter because of the ice. Uh, you know, I don't want to be falling, slipping all over the place. I'm sure I would have had to give it up for a while if I was still in the UK. So you know, I'm very lucky that I'm, I'm running out you know, in beautiful sunshine when I'm running. In fact, I have to go early because it's probably too hot to run during the day. I know what a privilege that is and I, I want to take advantage of it. So I've completed the January challenge. So in January, I completed 25 five kilometer or above activities. And of those 25 activities, I did 14 five kilometer runs in January and I did 11 five kilometer or above walks in January. And I've set myself up for another one in February. I've already done two runs in February this week. So I, uh, I've i got to do 14 runs. Basically, that's one every other day. I'm running every other day at the moment. So 14 5K runs in February. Now, I, I thought it was only runs I could do in February, but I can also add, um, you know, walks. And they say things like walk to the shops. I'm not doing that. My my personal rule is, is it's either got to be a 5K run or it's a 5K or above walk. It's got to be something substantial, not just a walk to the post box or anything. So that's what I'm counting. So... To, to get 14 5k runs in, I've got to do one every other day. And we did do a six kilometer, six and a half kilometer walk, I think the other day. So I've added that in, that also counts. But 14 5k runs is what I'm aiming for in February. But that sort of external commitment, that gamification of it, uh, gets me up in the morning. I was a little bit concerned actually, because um, Spain have been tightening up the rules bit by bit. And they changed the mask rules last weekend. Um, so you've got to wear masks on the beach now. Uh, where was the other place? So if you're exercising, uh, you've got to wear masks. And they clarified that. So at first, it sounded like you were going to have to wear a mask to exercise. And so I think it must have been, was it last Sunday I was out? I tried it with a mask. It's actually really difficult to run. Uh, well, if you're as unathletic as I am, it's really difficult to run with, with a mask on. Um, and I thought, well, this is, this is going to be hard work uh, if you've got to run with a mask. But they changed the rules. So in Spain at the moment, if, you've, if you're running between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., you've got to wear a mask. And that's actually in sort of urban areas. If you're in the middle of the country, you don't have to. Um, and, and, and so that's fine because I always leave the house just after eight o'clock. It gets light here just after eight o'clock and I, I'm back in the house by nine o'clock. So I'm, I don't have to wear a mask. However, you know, because things are getting dodgier in Spain, to be honest, I don't really see many people. Uh, I'm on a, on a cycle track. I run on a dead straight cycle track in the mornings. Um, but occasionally I do have to avoid people. It's not busy at all at that time. And I've started wearing a, a next scarf, the sort of thing that cyclists wear. I've got, I bought three on Amazon Spain the other day. And um, these things just go around your neck. And then if, if you do have to pass somebody, I could always put two meters between us, but I could just pull this thing up uh, while I'm passing someone and then pop it down when I've passed them. So that to me is a nice balance. But um, they are tightening up in Spain bit by bit by bit by bit. So whether we'll actually end up on a full lockdown, I don't know. But, you know, day to day basis, we've still got the freedom. Um, Torrevieja is locked down. I think it's from three o'clock. I don't 
there were huge tailbacks. Blimey, it was quiet last week when they when they locked the town off. Uh, you're, you're not allowed to move between towns at the weekends. And it was, they started at three o'clock last week. There was talk of it being bub- bubbed a bit later because it was so difficult for people at work. So it's either three o'clock or six o'clock, but you're not allowed to leave Torrevieja in, you know, in the car. You've got to keep within your, your territory, your town territory uh, until 6 a.m., on Monday morning. So the roads tomorrow will be absolutely dead. Saturday and Sunday last weekend, they were absolutely dead. So I know they're trying hard to stop a full lockdown, um, but they are, you know, the rules are getting tightened up bit by bit by bit by bit. I did have some good news on Monday as well. If you recall, because they made those rule changes and they didn't want to, didn't want people moving between the, the various towns and cities here, I cancelled our trip to Benidorm. And I said to you last week, well, you know, uh, I did cancel at the last minute. I'm happy to write that off. That's just how it is. It's a tiny casualty of COVID. Um, uh, and, and yet I got an email last Monday and they're, let, they're refunding me. They're letting me keep it as a credit. Uh, in actual fact, they hadn't received my email telling them that I was cancelled. And I got the email on Monday morning saying, where's your key? Because they'd expected me to put it back in the post box. And I said, oh, did you not get my email? Uh, we didn't come on Monday. And so um, she said, oh, well, that's fine. You can, you can pay the cleaning fee because obviously we had, to cl- we had to clean the thing through for you. Um, but we'll, we'll let you have as a credit the apartment rental and we'll let you have your Wi-Fi feedback again. So how how cool is that? You know, I'd written that off. And so if things ease here again, we'll just rebook it and we'll go to Benidorm before we leave. Um, so that really was uh, very, very good. And, and I don't usually write reviews, but the lady that I was talking to um, asked if I would write a review. And I wrote a glowing review because they have been brilliant with me when I've been messing around over COVID, changing this date, changing that date, carrying this date forward. They've been brilliant. You know, when you bear in mind a lot of these people are trying to keep businesses going, they have been very, very good. So that was a bit of really great news. And as soon as we can, as soon as they uh, you know lift these restrictions on the borders if we're still here we will try then and, and rearrange that trip to Benidorm um, you know so long as it's kind of within the spirit of the rules here and so with that said I've got some big Spain news for you this week I told you was it before Christmas when we came here to Spain one of the things we'd wanted to investigate was whether we could get um, a particular document that would allow us to keep our pre-Brexit residency rights in Spain, uh, you know, the right to, to kind of come and go as we as we please, rather than being limited to three months at a time. And when we'd come to Spain, we'd we'd had a lot of hassle with the bank sorting things out, giving my wife access, and because everything's um, geared around COVID at the moment, every time we went to the bank, we couldn't do it online. We had to you know, get through the crowd at the door to get to our appointment. And it was just a lot of hard work. We, the first thing you had to do to get the paperwork sorted was to get this thing called a padron. It's the first thing you have to do in Spain to do anything. And I'd, I, there's loads of appointments, really hard to get an appointment uh, because there are so many, you know, Brits here trying to, to get all this paperwork sorted. There's a huge backlog because of COVID. So I'd managed to get an appointment in, I think it was the end of November, and all of this has deadlines, of course. And then we went to that appointment in November. And within about five minutes, the lady looked at our contract on this house and said it needs to be in Spanish. And no one had told us that. And so I thought, oh, for goodness sake. So at, at that point, I thought, well, you know, this is only... I, I've, we did this on the internet with the lady that we've rented it from. And I get on very well with her. We have lots of email exchanges. And I thought, you know, it's a bit cheeky to say to her, 
can we have a Spanish contract, please? Um, and also, if I got a Spanish contract, it would have given us more tenancy rights. And I just thought, that's a bit cheeky. I'm not going to ask that. We'll have to leave it at that. But I can't remember what it was. We were, we were having an email exchange. Maybe she'd sent me the electricity bill or something like that. And I, and I just, there was something in, in what she said. And I thought, do you want know, I'm going to ask her this. I'm just going to ask her. You don't happen to have the, a copy of the contract in Spanish, do you? I think that's how I asked it. And we got chit-chatting and she was quite happy to let me have a Spanish contract. And she was quite happy to let me have, you know, a formal tenancy contract. She, says, she said, I trust you. And I said to her, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with you having a contract that's, uh, you know, le- legally binding, like gives me squatters rights and things like that. You know, obviously I'm not going to, to do it, but I, I didn't feel that was fair. So instead, I took our contract, I went on people per hour, and I paid a lady to translate it. So I got a proper Spanish translator. I don't mean to stick it through Google Translate. I mean to get it, you know, it was, it's a legal document. So I got it properly translated into Spanish. And then um, I sent it to the lady in the UK that we're renting the house from. She signed it and dated it on every page. She sent it back to me in the post. I signed it and dated it. I booked another Padron appointment, which we had on Wednesday. I booked a translator for the Padron appointment because I've learned that you need to do everything with a translator here. It's much easier. And we got our Padron. We, we got the Padron. Just like that, I was really nervous when we went, but we got the Padron sorted. So prior to that, and this relates back to what I was telling you about Kirsten Oliphant, last week I paid whatever it was, 60 quid for half an hour's consultancy with a firm of solicitors. And I'd read their article in the paper about you know Brits trying to get um, residency documents and things like that and it, it was a really good article and it was right to the heart of our situation so I emailed them and said can I pay you for half an hour and just ask you a load of questions about this and I paid for half an hour we did it on Skype and what I found out last week number one is that we can stay here to the end of June so the, the tax rules apply to a tax year and the Spanish tax year starts in the 1st of January so this lady who is Spanish and as a solicitor um, said, Yo, no, you're fine. You can stay to the end of June and you won't need to pay tax in. And that was the big thing. That was the big deal about staying. I don't want to pay tax out here as a self-employed person. So that was music to my ears. And then the other thing is, is that what I've actually decided to do, and this is what I've been doing today, and this is what I was doing all yesterday, is I've basically just paid this firm of solicitors to take care of the paperwork. They are going to get me my NIE, which is my kind of identification number out here. And they are going to take care of all the paperwork that we need to get our, to keep our pre-Brexit UK rights as, as, as uh, you know, uh, yeah, pre, pre-Brexit rights, which means um, I could basically stay here I don't want to pay tax, but I could live here if I wanted to with those rights. So we we could actually move here and live here all the time. I don't want to pay tax here. So it means we can stay here for six months at a time if we get that document. So yesterday, and this all kind of feeds into what I've been telling you. You also remember last week I told you I bought a printer. Yesterday, I was scanning 17 pages of my passport, 17 pages of my wife's passport. I was turning documents into PDF files and I had to send a whole load of documents, P60s, P45 from a corporate work that I was doing, uh, you know, bank statements, inside leg measurement, all these documents that they need. And we've had to do a power of attorney so so that they could go to the police station and submit these documents because everything's different in Spain. 
But the long and short of it is that, oh, well, the income is all fine too, because uh, there's no problem with, with the income because the income levels are much lower um, where, we, where we preserve the old rules and regs. So it's looking like what I said to you we wouldn't do, we might end up doing just kind of by accident and gentle persistence. So at the moment, um, at the moment we have to leave at the end of March, but so long as I can jump through the hoops with this paperwork, and it looks like I already have jumped through the hoops with the paperwork because I've been liaising with them by email today. Uh, I've just got to get a few things translated into Spanish, like your P60 has to be in Spanish so they can read it. And so I, I'll either pay their translators to do it or I'll pay my translators to do it. So there's a few bits of bobs to do. It does feel like there's always something else that you've got to do when you're doing paperwork in Spain. But I'm just going to hand it over to them to deal with. And this relates to what I was telling you about Kirsten Oliphant. You know, sometimes it's just easier to pay someone who knows exactly what they're doing to take care of it. And because this is about kind of legal rights and things like that, you know, I don't want to suddenly find myself deported from the country. So it was just, I just thought, she told me what the price was. I said, yeah, we'll do that for me and my wife. And let's just get that sorted. So um, fingers crossed then, we may then be able to extend our stay. Now, the rules and regs are that once this paperwork is extended, it takes three months for it to go through. And when that paperwork is, is submitted, I'm fine to be here. So basically, I, you know, we're fine until we get the response. And the response, you get a, basically you have to go, you get an appointment to go to, I think it's Alicante Police Station, where we have to get our fingerprints taken. You know, we're on the official kind of Spanish records at that point. So um, you get this kind of pending period of three months. So at the moment, um, so long as there are no hitches, so long as everything goes smoothly, the indications are that there aren't going to be any problems, uh, you know, other than just having to keep jumping through these hoops with paperwork, we might get our documents after all. And that will give us the right to return to Spain for longer periods. It will also allow us to buy a house here if we want to in, in the future and to move here lock, stock and barrel with our preserved pre-Brexit rights. So that's very exciting because I had thought mm, we're not going to be able to do this. And also the tax works uh, very well for us. So at the moment, if this goes ahead, we're discussing staying in Spain till May, uh, going back in May so that we're back for the kids' summer holidays. And then that still means tax-wise, we can come out for that month in November before Christmas. I think because of COVID and everything, I want to have a kind of UK family Christmas next year, you know, have the kids home, go and see my mum for New Year. And then, um, so that would be my six months um, so I don't have to pay tax here. Five months at the beginning of the year, one month in November. And then we start a brand new kind of tax year on January the 1st, which means we could come out here, say, I don't know, you know, January to March. Uh, and then we could come here uh, sort of October, November and December of the following year. And then I wouldn't have to pay tax. So it's, you know, again, we're just we're, we're hoping we're hoping it's all going to work out but it did take a significant move forward uh this year and it was all positive it was kind of all good news all the news that i wanted to hear so um at the moment we you know we're still going back at the end of march oh the lady who rents this house to us is quite happy to rent it to us because all all her bookings have cancelled so it'll it'll do her a favor if we stay in the house so we've certainly got it to the end of may she has a standard booking uh, that that people book every year currently in June, but she's got another house around the corner, which we've had a look at, which is frankly a more suitable size for two of us as we haven't got the family coming out now. Um, so we, we can shift houses if we need to. 
So it's all sorted out provisionally. We just got to get this paperwork submitted, you know, make sure the solicitors are happy with everything. And, uh, and we might be staying out here till May. So I will let you know how that goes. But um, yeah, we had some really good news about that this week. Just you know, to coin a phrase, just when they thought it was over. Um, I thought it wasn't going to happen. I thought it was going to be too hard. I didn't think we'd be able to jump through all the hoops. There were more complications than I thought. And all of a sudden, the way looks like it's going to be clear and actually easier than I thought it was going to be. All the financial stuff I want is way easier than I thought it was going to be. And to summarise this, so it's not just some rambling story, is that sometimes it pays to go to the source and drink from the source of the river. It's much easier to drink from there. Uh, and that's what I did by paying for consultancy. I paid someone who knows, someone who's Spanish, somebody who knows the legal system. They told me exactly what I could do. I'm paying them to do it. And it's a lot easier than me figuring it out, looking at forums on the internet that are giving all sorts of wrong advice or misleading advice. And the whole thing has proven to be much simpler because I just paid the right person for the right advice. And to bring this round back to writing again, if you need that help in your writing, find the right person. Don't hesitate to pay them if it moves you on in your author business because you'll earn that money back many times over. I've rabbited on quite enough this week. For somebody who hasn't really done very much, that's a one hour 10 podcast. That's quite enough for this week. I'll see you next week and I'll keep you up to date with all the developments. You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, please head for paulteague.net forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, bye bye for now.